Hello. This is Art Monthly's discussion programme where we analyse some of the writing from the current issue of Art Monthly with the authors of the texts. Today we are discussing public art in its widest form and I'm joined by Paul Ushwood. Hello, Paul. Hi. Who is an art historian at the University of Northumbria and he's also written on public art, a number of essays. I'm also joined by Dave Beach, who's written a feature. Dave is an artist, writer, and teaches at Chelsea School of Art. He's in the collective Free, and he's also a long-time contributor to Art Monthly, as is Paul, and um, he's returning for the second time to the programme. Dave has written a feature entitled The Fall of Public Art, so our subject, this programme, is definitely public art. Now, I wanted to just begin by trying to... uh, define perhaps what we mean now that's a obviously a, that's the whole program probably really but if we to say can we clarify perhaps what public art is in 2009 now shall i start with paul it is the big question sorry and, um, you can you can take a small part of it if you wish right um i mean there is a popular understanding out there what public art is yeah and uh and I'm afraid um, we're talking about all those strange things, which are often referred to as the turd in the plaza and so on. Which Refer to the same again? Turd in the plaza. Oh, thank you. Uh, uh, plonked, plunked um, <laughs> in streets and squares. But um, as Dave has uh, eloquently said in his essay, um, it can be and should be something very different. Um, and perhaps you like to say, Kathleen, uh, uh, what well, you say? I was wondering whether you were agreed with the, the, the point that I made that, that the term public art is a very modern term and you know if you like think back to, to the renaissance or, um, or, or, or to, to kind of pre-modern art history, public art wasn't sectioned off, it wasn't a separate activity from just making art that you know um, if, you, if you made a sculpture it would, it would almost always be in a public place you know, whether that's in a cathedral or in a square or whatever. And so art was, al- was already public. You didn't need a separate category mm. of public art. But there seems to be this emergence in modern times of a separate category, which artists have been uh, maybe reluctant to, to engage in. Absolutely. I mean, uh, the academic system, as it was, was training you to make a public statement, public art, whether it's a large painting for a... Or, piece of sculpture for the square, yes. And exactly the moment when that whole system collapsed at the beginning of the 20th century, I think it's sometime around then, this Mm. phrase which we're lumbered with, which is a big, loose, baggy phrase which is endlessly chewed over and, as you say, is now embarrassing for people in the fine art, art monthly world. Um, A lot of them find themselves making it from time to time, but uh, as you say in your essay... uh, um, they always have some weasel words you know, mm. where they disavow this whole activity, which is a strange situation we've got ourselves in. Yeah. yeah. Can, can I just um, ask, when, you know, you said the collapse of that pre-sort of situation where, you know, art was public or it was just art, but it was in the public place, but what you say collapse when, with modern can you just just say how the how do you mean? Was like what was the relationship between art before? Was it with religion? Or was, I mean, is that what you you but do? I'll, I'll, you can also get secular commissioners as well. Yeah, you know, like the 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 town fathers kind of commissioners yes. as well. Yes, 
Um, but you're saying that all kind of s- sort of stopped, or are you saying it doesn't happen now? Or? Well, I think I think it maybe happens on a, on a number of levels because what you're talking about is the collapse of a certain kind of classical um, tradition of art. But at the same time, if you go, if you think about someone like uh, Courbet and the emergence of of a kind of modern way of of if you like um, self commissioning, you know that that you've also got in a sense, with the emergence of modernism, you have the establishment of, of, if you like, a private kind of art that Courbet decides what he's going to make his pictures about. Nobody else commissions him, no one else tells him what to do or gives him a brief. No. So, you, so as well as the collapse of that, those kind of classical uh, structures, you've also got the emergence of something that we might call private as opposed to public. Absolutely, and uh, this private art then gets put out there in our day, in the rain, in the squares and streets, and it's called public, but it's actually this gallery. Mm. You mean art. like Richard Serra, say, you use him as an example, I think, Dave, don't you, and you're, as, as, a, as a gallery artist. As a gallery artist. Out, out was, in why don't you do it bigger, Richard, they say. Yeah. Because yeah. that was one thing that interested me is this, when you say putting it out, out, out of the gallery, because, Dave, I think at one point in say you talk about how gallery art goes out of the gallery into what we might call the public space, but the reverse doesn't happen, mm. which suggests that obviously that there is something that could come into the gallery from outside that is this other thing. Would it, would the seven seven monument in Hyde Park be that other thing that couldn't that doesn't go in the gallery? Do you, do you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I I, I do think that there's, um, I mean, clearly, I mean, you've you've done some work on this about of permanent statuary uh, public monuments and. Um, you know, like a a kind of three-dimensional sculptural portrait of, um, I don't know, the Oliver Cromwell yeah. doesn't make it back into the gallery these days. No. You know, the, 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 the stuff like Maya Lin's uh, uh, Vietnam uh, War Memorial has got a slightly better chance on it because it draws on a kind of avant-garde tradition. The method of, in which the names are put I on. I mean, it looks that. like art. Yeah, it still looks like art, and maybe the Seven Seven Memorial has got so some of that. When you say it's in the gallery, it's it's Mayor Lin. This uh, piece in Washington has been made part of, to some extent, part of the, the discourse of um, gallery art of minimalism. Yeah. Yes, yeah, or it comes out of that. Yes, yeah, that's that's so. What so I... it's kind of a little bit easier for something of that kind to get back into the gallery. Not that it does. Yeah, but you could imagine it. It, it might. Yeah, but then you've got, you know, in a sense, a whole other industry. Which is which is not really, uh, you know, a lot of public art that we, a lot of stuff that we call public art, isn't in fact made by artists. It's made by landscape designers, architects, and other people who who are on the fringes of maybe they call themselves artists and maybe they don't. Maybe they just call themselves carvers or you know yes. stonemasons yes. or yeah. some other kind of subcategory, and they may not even feel that they're part of this uh, this culture that we call contemporary art. Yeah, there's a just as you say that, an, uh, an instance of that is something called Thomas Heatherwick, um, who's done a, a big, rather sad thing up in Newcastle. And um, he has been in the news quite recently because he made a, or designed a piece which is even bigger than the Angel of the North for Manchester, which is now falling apart. Mm. Well, he is, uh, by origins, a, a designer yeah. and uh, has a design team and uh, he works closely with architects. Um, so there is this yes, this area called public art, which is uh, populated by people from all sorts of backgrounds, and it's a kind of parallel world which 
as you say in your essay, and I think relatively little discussed. Mm. Um, I suppose because why is that? Because it slips between architecture and planning, and or, 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 well, or it's just so damn dull. I mean, in, in, <laughs> well, I, I think I think it's relatively. I mean, I mean, hardly at all discussed within contemporary art debates because these works don't have anything to do with contemporary art debates. So why would people within contemporary art yeah. discuss them? You know, I mean, we, we don't we don't discuss uh, you know the leading chefs of the day either. You know, so why would we discuss people that make things for town squares? Just because uh, sometimes we call it public art and sometimes we don't. Sometimes we just call it town planning. This thing about the gallery in the public space. You, I mean, you, you do talk a bit about the, what is public space and also who, who is the public, like, because that, I mean, that's, I mean, in the end, you, that's where it really comes down to a sort of critical definition kind of time, doesn't it? Because maybe those things don't function. I mean, you do talk about a good, I mean, to be positive, you do talk, Dave, about how it could be, how, how public art could be now. Mm. A, a good art form, which you would talk about and you would write about, and and that'd be nice to try and um, expand a bit on how that could come about, or where there are some examples of where it happens. Can you can you help me out there with an example of, from your? Um, well, I've just come back from Amsterdam, where um, where I was uh, visiting uh, Jan van. He, he's He's Wick, is it? No, I'm getting confused with your guy now. Yeah. Um, the, re- the the Blue House in Amsterdam. Okay. And that started out as a as a very small commission uh, of five thousand euros, um, but the artist who took on the commission wasn't satisfied with making a piece of work within that framework, so she spent you know months and years raising funds in order to do something much more long-standing you know, to do something much more ambitious, to engage with people over a long period of time. Um, and and so there you have a different kind of model where the the duration of the piece isn't about it being made out of bronze. The duration of the piece is measured in the, 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 the time that the artist spends with that community. Yeah. So you've got a different sense of, uh, of, of an artwork lasting over a period of time. Right. Is that reflected in what? If I go there and I, do you get that experience from the piece, from the thing that well, you the, see? Well, the thing is that it's now got a kind of backstory. That you know, when she when she first moved to this little island that they built off Amsterdam, yeah, and it was and it was kind of desolate. Some people moved in and they were still building while people were moving in. Um, she had meetings with the local residents, and one of them said, "You know, we need a children's library." And she went, so then she researched it and found that, uh, you know, in Dutch law, you have to have 25,000 people or something yeah. in a given area in order to justify having a library. So she said, well, let's make our own. Yeah. So she helped them set up a library and then they had a library without having to go through those kind of official procedures in order to, to have a library built for them. So, so it's about engaging with the, the public, if you like, in a yeah. different kind of way. Yeah. Now, it's interesting from my point of view to to then link that to historical debates within avant-garde art because it seems to me that that sense of endurance as opposed to the permanence of the monumental sculpture is based on a kind of uh, 1960s, 70s idea of, of performance art. And, and the way I understand that is to think that what 
what what happened at that period is you, you lose the object altogether. Okay, yeah. but then how can you be monumental when you don't have an object? You just spend more and more time doing something. So you get performance artists doing something for hours, and then other performance artists doing something for days, and other so performance it feels artists monumental to the spectator. So maybe, you have a, so instead of monumental object, you get monumental time. Yeah, and it seems to me that what's happened with certain contemporary public artists' practices is that they've swapped the that kind of monumental object for monumental time instead. So it's a kind of performative idea of public space. Yeah. Uh, actually, I, I try it on you. Um, and there are certain physical lumps which momentarily um, do, and inadvertently, probably with nobody intending it, um, create a kind of discussion. Um, I mean, being up in, living up in uh, Newcastle, I'm very, very aware of the, the Angel of the North. Yeah which is forever, ever cited as legitimising the, uh, the physical lump, the permanent lump. But uh, I think there was a moment when it was public art. <laughs> it isn't now, but there was a moment, and this was long before it um, actually physically appeared. There was a furious discussion, debate, on Tyneside around that. That was the moment when it was what doing about the trick. About whether, what it should be like or whether it should have like. it well, at there was, all. There were... There were um, uh, digital images uh, broadcast, which um, um, al al alarm certain um, groups on Tyneside. Um, uh, Gateshead, where it's physically sighted, has a very large Orthodox Jewish uh, population, and um, it was said this thing is going to look very like a uh, um, piece of Nazi art on the side of the Luftwaffe headquarters. Right, right. And uh, so, you know, and this was, you know, it was kind of a spurious line, but uh, points like that, and would it cause um, distractions, yes, and distractions, yes. and all that? And, and, and there were polls in local newspapers, and people really began to think about, well, what is it they value in their their environment? What you know, what is this place, Gateshead? What is Tyneside? Uh, if it's going to be called North, you know, where is this place, the North? I mean, all these kind of discussions were had yeah. then. And then, uh, long before actually it actually physically appeared, they kind of died away because, you know, um, official them, the, the papers all endorsed. The consultation said, period you know, ended. Is, well, you could, that's how they put <laughs> it. They the consultation period ended. And then it became kind of stuck and dull and it became a, a branding uh, device and a very efficient branding device. Yeah. And then the model for every other city. The, the, yes, uh, yes, yes, yes. Um, um, very unfortunate. You know, an awful lot of very large things, like this Bee of the Bang thing, which I was mentioning outside Manchester, um, ensued. But maybe we're getting over that phase because um, the money, the lottery money, I don't know, it doesn't seem to be there quite the way it was, although there is the Mark Wallinger piece yeah, on the horizon. Very, which, which, well, maybe it will happen, maybe it won't. It's, it's, yeah. I just don't know, do you? I must say, how do you, has that grabbed you? <laughs> well, I, I'm kind of interested in the Matt Wallinger piece because I think that it is, uh, it's an example of what will be a permanent physical lump. Uh, a big white horse, we yeah, should say. But which we? has a connection to something that I, that I see as inside art, which is, which is via Matt Wallinger's ongoing engagement with horses and racing and breeding breeding and hierarchies and so on and so forth yeah. so 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 i think the horse straddles if does you it like. have to be made does uh, it have to have, i mean we you know you have a very i think that's a really really good point actually. you have a very vivid idea of how it might be 
especially with Photoshop. Anyway, these I have days. all your those sort of interesting thoughts how it connects with Mark Wallinger's practice, his private world, art gallery world practice. Well, but I mean, this 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 again takes us back to that kind of minimalism conceptualism period, doesn't it? Which is like, yes. you know, once you've had the idea, does it need to be executed? Yeah, or not? and Smith's um, and especially after you get Photoshop. Well, yeah, because I mean, there is an image which which looks like it's there, and I know the experience of going right up underneath it would be very different. But you get a pretty damn good idea of what it's what it is going to be like, don't you? I actually heard well, he didn't know. Quite one how one of one it. of the um, one of the pieces that I mentioned in, in my uh, feature. Is is, a, is an untitled piece by Michael Asher, yeah. where he shifts uh, a sculpture from oh, yes, outside yes, yes. from outside a museum inside that same museum, and then after a period, it gets returned back to its original place, and I think that that is is in, is if you like a more interesting way of thinking. It's not just a case of should it be done or shouldn't it be done. You know, he could have just written. A proposal saying that it could be moved. Yeah. So you think the action was important? It, but I think the fact that he moves it and then moves it back yeah. means that even when you see it in in, in its original yes. place, you know it's being moved and then returned again. Yes. So so it, it, the the seemingly permanent space that it, that it occupies is then seen as always temporary. You know, if we if, if we think if we go back to the to the Trafalgar Square and the Fourth Plinth, you know there are there are sculptures in Trafalgar Square. Which there's there's one in particular I can't remember which one it is I think it's it, it's a it's a Charles or some, something Charles like that. Napier no the, uh, the Charles I think is it, is it isn't it Charles the first or, or something oh Charles the first there, there's a just yeah. outside the yes, National yes. Gallery and uh, um, it was put there temporarily and then was never yeah. moved again right yeah. so 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 we got this sense of how, of how all of these public monuments could in fact be thought of as being temporary and that's what kind of Michael Asher is is drawing our attention to is that if we chose, you know, they're not permanent. We could just move it, yeah, and we could take it from being real and active and part of our life and on our street, and we can take it away from that and we can put it in a museum and say it's not part of our life anymore. Now it's part of history. And then, is a museum a gallery? You know, is that a public space? The, the people who run those places suddenly talk about it like that, but he makes us suddenly really think that's true. Yeah, yeah, it must have been great. <laughs> Um, the uh, yes, the um, Gormley piece. Uh, I mean, I think. I mean, part of me thinks it does work, in spite of the, our monthly have written an editorial, thoroughly giving it thumbs down and saying it's what a some tawdry, big brother, mess. But I think that actually, when you go to Trafalgar Square, the, the sheer messiness of the whole setup. Um, again, inadvertently, uh, makes you think about how do these things happen. Um, I mean, Sky Arts, who sponsored it, have, um, which isn't usually in the photos, put in the square these enormous porter cabins and the JCB contraptions for getting people up onto the uh, plinth, and then there's this really cumbersome um, safety net round the plinth. Um, and that's all very, very intrusive, and it makes you think about the uh, economic, social system mm. which underlies the piece. I mean, the, the piece itself is you know, a minuscule figure up there on the plinth. Uh, you can sort of find out what that's about in about five minutes flat, and then it sort of becomes rather tedious flat, very quickly, and people mo um, lose interest, in, from my observation, very quickly. 
But then there's all this clobber in mm. Trafalgar Square. And, in, and I think that's kind of interesting. <laughs> From momentarily, you begin to think, well, perhaps Trafalgar Square has become a kind of commercial space. It, it is used a lot for events. It is used yeah. for events. They and put the, stages there being built every week, practically. Yeah. You can hardly get, get into Trafalgar Square. I haven't seen it empty for ages. And that happened. Um, you know, I didn't win it. It happened about 10 years ago. And everybody seems to think it's a good thing. Um, at the same time, that um, Trafalgar Square was completely lost as a, a space for protesting, demonstrations, the political uh, meaning of mm. what, you know, of those people, those big wigs on there. Well, that, that's what that's what worries me. And you know, about. he's making. I think he's setting up. Supposedly, um, uh, uh, he's uh, questioning. Uh, the authority of those figures, but nobody, but I nobody's I, I at all interested in those. That, yeah. That's what worries me about the piece, really, is that I can remember um, in you know at the ends of marches and you know in celebrations after FA Cup finals and things like that that people regularly climbed up there anyway. That this wasn't something that was that you you didn't need, you know, sky or the or an artist or or the the you know the mayor of London to say up you go. You know, it, it used to be something that people would, would, would just do spontaneously as, as part of, of their activity within that square. And so to a certain extent, I think that Gormley is, is, is in a sense framing that experience as something that, that requires a whole infrastructure. And, yeah. theref- and therefore, he's making it kind of um, less available. Yeah. By the very act of making it available to some people that he's uh, kind of endorsed, He's making it less available to the rest of us, and I think that that that, that space always felt available. Yeah, so it's it's being um, endorsed as a space of entertainment spectacle. Yeah. so it's been colonised. Yeah, um, yeah, and th- I mean, there was time when those demonstrations happened and all those kind of unruly events. I mean, it was uh, a space rather like. Um, these people that you uh, cite with approval, like Habermas and Lefebvre and so on, gone about, of where um, discussion, discourse, debate, real, um, not just debate, that sounds too far too polite, but you know, uh, real disagreement mm. could occur. And they're being squeezed out gradually. Yeah. And uh, it's just very, very sad to see this prime instance of that kind of space yeah. being thoroughly now... Um, Made something else, yeah. Museumified, a kind. Well, maybe it's a kind of um, part of the National Gallery space. In fact, it's a, yeah. Apart, it's, apart from the fact that the National Gallery director hates it, he hates it. It's it doesn't quite fit in with his idea of a gallery, but it is a kind of uh, space for um, passive aesthetic viewing of spectacular things, mm. rather than um, interrogating things, having discussions, and so on. Is that Hyde Park Corner? That's Hyde Park Corner. Traditionally, I was brought up to believe, you know, yes. British democracy. I haven't been there for so long. I don't um, know what it's that's like. That's where it is. That's where it is. People w- can go there and you have a right to stand on your soapbox yes. and try to make your point above the noise of the traffic. Because Marcel Brotes is mentioned, I think, in the editorial, yeah. isn't he? He went there and made Did he suffer from the traffic? And sort of <laughs> tried to intervene in an artistic way, didn't he, years ago? And Carrie Young did a piece there as well, didn't she? Yeah, I mean, it's, it, that, but it is, there's very few places like that you could go to to try and do something like that, aren't there? I mean, that's, I mean maybe it's all gone onto the internet I, know, I think it's controlled to the extent that you aren't yeah. allowed to use uh, amplification and make your voice really heard 
to a large number of people. I don't know. Who would stop you? I don't know. Well, certainly there is a space in my hometown, Newcastle, um, which just happened by accident at the bottom of a grand uh, column, sort of Nelson's column. A space was created there uh, about 20 years ago where people naturally gather, and that's where you go and shout off about animal rights. Right. And it's sort of known to be the place. The place. The place. Yes. It's also where you meet um, Mm. whoever you want to meet. It is that kind of space. Um, But rather like the Trafalgar Square, the the nearby cafes are all trying to kind of co-opt it. I mean, Trafalgar Square, there is actually a coffee. Yeah, they've installed a cafe with a lift going down and all kinds of stuff. Yeah, it's quite extraordinary when you think about it. How did that happen? (laughs) Did anybody object? No. The the other thing you think about, a lot of places that look like public spaces, uh, I think I think I'm right in saying that outside the um, mayoral building, London's mayor, yeah. there's a kind of what looks like a little amphitheatre thing, you know, for people to sit in. So, but apparently, if you actually do virtually anything in it at all, you will be asked to leave. But it appears to be public. So a lot of these, in the city, there's a various, there's actually a magazine called Blueprint in which an issue has about they actually went out with deck chairs and a hamper and a number of and, and sat down in these various places and then they'd bring out a can of beer and they'd see what level they could go to before they were and they always were asked to leave or to stop doing that and someone sat down in Trafalgar Square in the deck chair and was told they couldn't sit in the square without permission they could go and sit up on the top above outside National Gallery so there are even within that Trafalgar Square area there are different owners and different um, what you can do as it were. But Tony Bennett, in his historical account of the birth of the Art Gallery and Museum, talks about how um, early um, visitors to galleries would do precisely that. They'd turn up with a picnic and they'd be, and they'd be asked to leave. And, and so, in a sense, they were treated as public places until people were told not to treat them as that kind of public place. Yeah. So, people had so, to learn the rules. Yeah, yeah. You meant to and the rules were being made yeah, yes, on the spot on, yes, by the director. The, yeah. like, do we want gin? Yeah. <laughs> or not. Yeah. You know, so 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 in a sense, it was one of the when we talk about you know when you take Asher's sculpture and you put it into the gallery, have we gone from a public space to another public space or not yes. into a public yeah. space? And one of the one of the things we need to factor into that is is how that experience in that space was manufactured to be different from the street, from the park, from from the square and the plaza and, and all the other public yeah, There places. is a temptation, I think, in discussions around the, these themes to um, hoist up a kind of golden age in the past. I mean, some of the books uh, go right back to uh, 5th century BC, mm. Athens, the Agora, the marketplace, where all the citizens could gather and not just haggle over goods, but you know, they would try criminals, they would uh, decide the great um, political issues of the day. But then uh, I think Richard Sennett points out, you know, it, of course the slaves wouldn't be allowed to <laughs> take part and women wouldn't be allowed to take part and it was always a little bit... It doesn't sound uh, like much change there, then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it was a bit like your space outside the GLC. Yeah. Well, in a way, yeah, it, it is. It's, it's curious. Um, but we need to hang on to that kind of idea. And maybe, it's, well, perhaps you would say that uh, uh, the idea of thinking of it in terms of a physical space is just had its day and uh, get in the way and maybe we should be thinking of broadcasting the internet, whatever. Yeah. Um, and it would be more um, helpful to think of public space in those sort of terms because if we get too hung up on physical spaces, it's just always just 
misleading. That, 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 what you just said there is actually something which a lot of people could do with understanding, couldn't they? Because I mean, that is an open-ended way of looking at public arts. Well, it's, it's, what, it's what we were just saying about the, the Garmler piece, and does, is that, is that, does that activate a public? Or does it turn a possible public into a set of consumers, into into spectators of something else? And if it does the latter, which it does, you know, then then there's a sense in which it's missing out on something really significant to our sense of what a public is. So the reason that I talk about the you know don't go to public places in order to find a public is because quite often public places have already been. Um, curtailed in terms of the participation of, 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 of ordinary people. So, so you can't behave like a public in a public space. But you might be able to behave like a public in the upstairs of a pub. Yeah. You know, so if, if, if we look at it in terms of what we can do and how we can interact with each other, then maybe we're going to find more public activity in private spaces than we are in public spaces. Listen, guys, I think we're probably run out of time now, and I'm really grateful for your conversation and for coming in today. And uh, By the way, I don't think I said at the beginning that um, Paul reviewed a book called The Practice of Public Art, which I should have said, <laughs> just to be fair. <laughs> but both, thank you very much indeed for coming in. Thanks, Matt. Right, great. Residents listeners can get a 30% discount on Art Monthly subscriptions, £30 instead of 44 Call or email Art Monthly, quoting residents. Contact details on our website, www.artmonthly.co.uk.